As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Civil Discourse, a podcast where participants are free to share their ideas, empathize with other perspectives, and who intend to advance to a better solution to fix a societal ill. We will focus on topics that are particularly complicated. In a time where information is from sources more opinionated than ever, Our mission is to find solutions and goals to accelerate the nation's progress with cultural impunity. I'm your host, Todd Furness. I'm Todd Furness, your host. And as always, I encourage you, if you like these videos, to please like, share, and subscribe. Uh, we put these out every week, and we hope to encourage a conversation around uh, the issues of the day. Uh, one of the things I've been thinking about, as, and before I get into today's content, is the issue of Uh, stepping back and reflecting on the broader issues of the day. And I'm kind of tossing around the idea of a, a five minute or so brief that would happen on Wednesdays that would be called upon reflection or with time to think. And the idea would be that I'd talk about a specific issue that, or set of issues that I think come together in a way that uh, is not being discussed in the media or in the popular Uh, culture, but really raises issues that ought to be addressed and that aren't necessarily easy to or simple to, to rectify. Um, today will be a little bit of an example of that, uh, but I wanted to kind of tee that up and get some audience feedback from that. I'm pleased to report that my podcasts are now uh, have now enjoyed over 160,000 views since we launched. Uh, we're adding views on a, on a daily and weekly basis, and I'm, so I'm really grateful that people are interested in what I have to say. And I'm also grateful that uh, there seems to be a, a, a need for this and an, and an opportunity to speak to the issues that are so uh, critical to our culture and our nation, our society, uh, because I think they affect us at a cultural level, an economic level, and a political level. Now, I'm trying not to get involved in the and the political issues in these podcasts. My real goal is just to talk about the issues that really need to be unwrapped and, and, uh, and solved. I'll give you an example of, 
one of the issues that uh, has come up, I've talked about some of this in the radio interviews I've done and some of the TV interviews I've done over the course of the last couple of weeks, seems to be coming up in the context of COVID. And the issue is this, uh, on, the, on the left, uh, the people on that side of the aisle characterizing themselves as liberals or progressives or more broadly, uh, with if they have any political affiliation from a party perspective, Democrats uh, are, are talking about COVID as a public safety, public health issue, and therefore starting to talk about mandating vaccinations uh, or alternatively having a vaccination passport that folks would carry around with them in order to get on the airplanes, get into venues, travel to foreign countries, uh, in terms of the passport. And alternatively, it could come down to uh, keeping or getting a job. So you might have some sort of a vaccination requirement, as we've seen at the Methodist system in Houston recently. That's given rise to litigation on the part of the nurses and other healthcare workers, who, about 160 of them, who have been suspended from their jobs because they have not gotten the vaccination. On the other side of the aisle, people who would be considered as are construed as libertarian or uh, independent or Republicans, if they have a party affiliation, uh, are considering this a limitation of their own rights, or really, if I am more direct about it, they say that uh, the left just wants to control us, that it's all about advancing the role of government that is a regulatory issue and, and it's overreach and it violates their uh their their rights in some way. And I want to frame the issue in a little bit of a different way. I think that uh, there's a conversation underneath of these uh, these exchanges um, that I think is more important. And I think that the exchanges become what I would characterize as intellectually lazy. If you're throwing attacks at people in the in the context of a defense or an argument and you're saying you just want to control me, that doesn't feel particularly sincere or uh, helpful in advancing the discussion. Um, to say you don't believe in science if you haven't gotten the vaccination or if you contest Dr. Fauci's issues or his standing on something also seems to be very intellectually lazy. So let's see if we can find out what really is going on. And I, I'm going to tee it up. I don't have all the answers, nor do I pretend to, uh, but I do want to tee up the question in a different way. Our nation has been facing uh, and dealing with a tension since its inception. And the tension is between the rights of the individual and the rights of the collective, meaning the rights of the group or the, the population at large. And we started this conversation, in fact, our government was formed in a way with uh, two legislative houses, if you will, followed by an administrative or executive branch uh, approval required in the absence of a, a veto override uh, to pass laws. And the reason for that was in part because there was a sense that any law passed was necessarily a, an abrogation or a compromise or a limitation on individual liberty. And so the, the idea was it should be hard to pass laws because in the common law system, as we have in the United States, individuals have and companies have the right to do anything they want, except that which is prohibited by law. Now, by contrast, in civil law countries, it's exactly the opposite. 
you only have the right to do those things which are expressly permitted by law or in rights that have been granted through law or regulation or statute. So will be examples of, of civil law countries, uh, Brazil, uh, Poland, Spain, uh, and you'll note that I'm not trying to include those which might be a catalyst for other arguments, uh, but there are many civil law countries out there. The US and England and others are common law countries. So the idea here, first and foremost, is that as a common law country, we seek to make fewer laws than more laws. Uh, and that, and we tend to law, uh, want and allow market forces to come to bear in an effort to solve problems. Now, in all candor, market forces don't always work. And we have to be mindful of that. And we have to also say that in those instances where market forces don't work, that doesn't mean that the problem goes away. It just means that market forces don't provide us with a solution. An example of that right now is broadband distribution. A goodly portion of the United States does not have access to broadband. And the FCC, the Federal Reserve Bank, Department of Commerce, and countless other governmental bodies at the federal, state, and local level are all recognizing this is a problem that needs to be addressed. But how do you address it? If market forces don't work, then there has to be a different solution. And it may be a tapestry of business models that need to be employed to get broadband extended to more people so that more people can not only access uh, the web through broadband speeds, but as importantly, have access to healthcare, education, jobs, and every other element of the contemporary economy. So backing up to the issue of the day with regard to COVID and how this relates uh, to, the, to the bigger question, the issue in my view is the dynamic tension between the rights of the individual versus the rights of the collective. So we found a number of instances, and the easy one from a health perspective is to talk about smoking. Uh, we don't allow people to smoke in planes, in restaurants, in bars. And the reason we don't allow that is because it's been determined that the adverse consequences of secondhand smoke are such that it can cause problems for those who are not smokers themselves and don't have the ability to protect themselves from secondhand smoke from those who are smoking nearby. So we made a decision as a country that in the vast majority of instances, you're not allowed to smoke in planes, restaurants, and bars. Now, at the other end of the spectrum, we've got a question around having vaccinated over half of the adults in the United States right now. Another 10% of the adults in the United States have had COVID already, which means they have antibodies. So we're probably between 60 and 70% of the population. There's probably five to 10% of the population that has a natural immunity to COVID. And then there are a group of people who probably shouldn't be vaccinated for medical reasons and, and countless other reasons. So for example, should ch children be vaccinated? Well, we don't know that they have a particular immediate threat from COVID and the adverse consequences to children seem to be fairly insignificant. Yes, they can happen, but it's very rare, less than 1% of the time. And uh, children's immune systems are such that they usually bounce back quite quickly and they are seldom, if ever, hospitalized 
or intubated or much less uh, suffer more dire consequences. So we really need to think about that population not being included. And the other population that I've spoken about often, just because we don't know, I'm not saying the vaccine's not safe, I'm just saying we don't know, uh, of the effect on women of childbearing age. And we don't know what that means to either the opportunity to have a child or what, what the implications would be for the child after a mother has had a COVID vaccination. Again, I'm not saying that there's anything to worry about here. I'm just saying we don't know. And so in the absence of data that kind of helps us understand this problem better, uh, then a caution or a cautionary approach would be, a pro- would be wise. And I point to the example of uh, drugs that have been given to mothers in the past, which had you know un- very unfortunate consequences. And I would point back to the drugs that were given in the 50s uh, to help mothers avoid miscarriage, uh, but ended up producing children who happened to be deaf. So, and that, that's just one of, of many examples. I'm not trying to be exhaustive here. But the issue is more broadly this dynamic tension. So who's at risk if the majority of the population has either had, has a natural immunity to, or has had the vaccination, uh, COVID, and therefore the majority of people aren't susceptible to COVID. The issue is that the risk is limited to the individual who's electing not to get the vaccination. And so if the individual makes that election, who is that individual harming or who is that individual putting at risk? By and large, the risk is is suffered by the individual electing not to get the vaccination. And that should be the right of that individual to make that determination. It shouldn't be the right of other people to force directly or indirectly that individual to have the vaccination. So for example, an indirect example of forcing somebody to do something would be to say, you're not allowed to travel on this airplane, or you're not allowed to get in this train, or you're not allowed to get on this bus or any other form of public transportation or private transportation because you haven't had a vaccination. You're not allowed to come into this venue, meaning this office building or this theater or this stadium or uh, this arena. Instead, what you have to do is you have to get a vaccination and prove that you've gotten a vaccination in order to gain access. I think those are are bad ideas and I think they're ill-founded. And I also believe that they cause the kinds of aberrant behavior uh, and, and really a frustration that's unhelpful also. So when we get back to the issue, I think the real dynamic, the real issue that we as a nation are really grappling with, the issue that we as a nation are really grappling with is the issue of at what point do the rights of the individual take priority, or I should say it differently, at what point do the rights of the individual no longer take priority to the rights of the collective. Now, another form of this conversation that nobody really wants to talk about is the issue of obesity and how it ties into the rights of the individual versus the rights of the collective. If one were to assert that there's a public safety concern because, or a public health concern because I have to pay for uh, the adverse consequences of someone else's behavior, and therefore it becomes a public health and uh, and a more public issue where the rights of the collective should take over, then we have to ask the questions around obesity. And we've heard a lot recently about the FAA saying, hey, we need to recalculate our flight safety metrics because human beings have gotten bigger. Not only have we gotten taller, but we've gotten wider over the course of the last 30 or 40 years. And so the FAA is saying we need to calculate 
the weights of the passengers and their bags. And, uh, and that needs to be done in order to make sure that we have public safety in the form of uh, flight safety uh, in place before we take off. Now, the public outcry to this has been astronomical, just astronomical. I did a little uh, search on this issue a couple of weeks ago, and I, I thought it was really interesting that I did a Google search and found that there were over 760 million searches on the issue of being weighed before you got on an airplane. By contrast, there was uh, something like a third of that on the issue of getting vaccinated for COVID. So obviously there's a, a public outcry about this, but if you're making the argument that uh, you need to be vaccinated because it's a public safety issue, then I, I don't understand why there's not a parallel argument about uh, obesity uh, and flight safety or alternatively obesity and the consequences associated with the cost of healthcare to the risk pools for those in the risk pools that are that whose BMI is over 30, which is the way that obesity has traditionally been calculated. So I want to at least tee that up. I recognize that I'm going to be unpopular for raising that issue. Um, I'm unpopular for a lot of reasons anyway, but uh, I recognize that that's also going to make me unpopular for, for that reason, because uh, obesity is a problem that nobody really wants to talk about. And last week, I was asked by a radio host about my ideas on the public service announcements regarding COVID vaccinations. And my argument was, I get that. But it, given the CDC's report that said that 78% of all people who were hospitalized, intubated, or, or who died from COVID had, were, in fact, obese, to me, the question would be, why don't we have public safety announcements about obesity and the risks associated with obesity? Another point on this, and this is just kind of goes to how insidious this issue is. Um, I was last week in Chicago with my grandsons uh, going to museums and exposing them to the worlds of science and industry and the aquarium and uh, the other fantastic museums and parks that uh, Chicago has to offer to its, its residents and others who come to Chicago who want to see these fantastic sites. and. Not only was I, of course, blown away by uh, the incredible quality of these museums that have been around for a very long time uh, and the incredible commitment of the residents of Chicago in putting these museums in place and supporting them so well. Uh, but I was also taken by uh, the food offerings on the Navy Pier, which were would be described as anything but healthy. Uh, and I went into one fast food restaurant whose name shall be, you know, I won't try and and, uh, and pigeonhole them particularly, but on the sign, it says that the daily caloric intake average should be about 2000 calories. And so that's actually on the menu board. What's interesting though, is if you, they also had all of the caloric offerings for uh, each of the items on the menu. And you quickly could calculate that if you ordered a sandwich and uh, french fries and a drink, you could be over the daily calorie requirement for the person consuming that. So this is not, um, it's not hard, but it's also important to note that there weren't any healthy offerings on the menu. So it's not like 
you really had a choice if you went to this particular restaurant uh, to choose a healthy offering. Salads weren't available. Uh, they did have a small fruit cup available for children, but the soft drinks were, had, were very limited in what they were offering. Uh, they did have water. Uh, they did have milkshakes. Uh, but beyond that, it was fairly limited. And, and I'm not suggesting that milkshakes and soft drinks are healthy. I'm just saying that those were on the menu. So as you kind of thumb through this, you say, we as a society really need to think through the issues of individual uh, rights um, and, the, in, and, the, and the corresponding issue with individual rights uh, is that nobody also wants to talk about is individual responsibility. In my book, I talk a lot about the need for preventative care about going and seeing your primary care physician on a regular basis, about having a relationship with your primary care physician, about you know, doing the three things that mom always said, which were eating right, sleeping right, and, and getting exercise. Um, and I talk about this because I think it's important that we get ahead of these problems uh, that may manifest in each of us if our individual responsibilities in some way uh, are, are uh, not managed well. And meaning we eat too much, we drink too much, uh, we get a little too heavy, we don't get enough exercise, we don't sleep well. Those things can all be problems. And I also don't want you to think that I'm saying this from a point where I think I'm perfect. I've got these same issues myself. I, I'm always struggling to get the right amount of exercise and to get a good night's sleep. And I recognize that it's hard for people to do all these things. Uh, I'm not suggesting it's easy at all. All I'm saying is that this is another issue that we need to try and get our, head, our heads around and figure out how can we create a better environment for ourselves and for others around us where we can not only exercise our individual liberty, but also exercise our individual responsibility in a way that uh, really helps everyone in our community. So when you take care of yourself, you're taking care of a piece of the community. You, you, you're a member of the community. And so we have to keep that in mind as well. Um, but, and recognize also that there will be instances where the rights of the collective do take priority, like smoking in restaurants and bars and airplanes. Uh, so these are not easy questions to answer at all times, uh, and it takes some thinking. Um, I'm hopeful that I can be helpful in, in at least catalyzing some conversation around this. I recognize it's not all going to be welcome. I recognize that sometimes it's going to be hard, and uh, I hope that you see that I genuinely uh, approach this from a position of inquiry and seeking to learn more about it and how we can uh, draw these lines in a way that uh, help as many, many people as possible. At the end of the day, our real goal or my real goal would be to see more people healthy, more people realizing their own dreams, more people participating in the contemporary economy, more people uh, with access to the, the contemporary economy. Uh, and more people leaving healthy and prosperous lives uh, where they can achieve their own dreams and goals. So I didn't mean to blend too much into, uh, into the latter part, but uh, hopefully that gives you a framework for uh, how we can move forward and, and address some of these co uh, complicated problems. Well, thank you once again for allowing me to uh, interrupt your day. I hope this has been a meaningful and enjoyable uh, time, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you so much. Thanks for watching this week's episode of Civil Discourse. To learn more about today's topic or our guest, visit www.the60percentsolution.com or www.tfip.com.
www.thepeopleshow.group. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.